Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, more election fallout. Will we see a pipeline? Trying to make sense of a truck found with 39 bodies in the back. And the Prime Minister has tried to make peace with the West by bringing up the pipeline again. Will it ever get built? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Jared Wesley, Associate Professor of Political Science, University of Alberta. He is with us now. Jared, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good afternoon. Uh, I remember living in uh, Alberta back uh, in the 80s, 86 to 89, you know, in Calgary. Fabulous time, great memories of all of that. I remember being in the media out there and interviewing uh, Ralph Klein, Mayor Ralph Klein at the time, and him saying that Calgary and Alberta have to diversify their economy. Has that happened? Nope. (laughs) Um, because again back then it was everybody was remembering the oil boom of the 70s and wearing the shirts say give us another one so we don't pee this one away um so so what happened post post 70s oil boom well you you get you get addicted to that to 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 the oil money and governments uh, from the left and right of the spectrum have have perpetuated this uh this this fiscal problem that that uh, the Kenny government is going to try to face down with today's uh his first budget today um i will say that it's a bit different this time though um you you mentioned you know give us give us another boom and this time we promise not to to piss it away i think part of the the anxiety around Calgary and 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 in around the oil sands is that we might not have another boom coming. And when people stop having that kind of optimism, uh, you start to see a different kind of Western alienation than we've seen in previous generations. And I think that's what's fueling a lot of the angst and in some cases anger and rage. So what can Premier Kenny do to move this forward? Move move forward with national unity or move yeah. forward? Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, striking a more constructive tone than his neighbor in Saskatchewan would be a good start. I think Premier Pallister in, in Manitoba struck a pretty good, uh, pretty good chord, saying, you know what, the, the West may be alienated, but but in the end, we all have to work together. Let's find a way to um, to, to bridge these divides. I think uh, Premier Kenny did a, a province-wide speech last night where he was saying, um, you know. We, we, Albertans are, are just upset that, that when they're down, the rest of Canada doesn't seem to have their back. And I, I, hear, I take Tony's point, your previous caller, uh, to heart. It's tough to see from, from eastern Canada and central Canada how things like buying a pipeline isn't enough. But for folks out here, it's, it's a matter of seeing um, other provinces uh, that receive equalization, for example, seeming like they're getting ahead. And Quebec next year will lead the country in GDP growth. <laughs> While uh, Alberta continues to languish from a long-term, um, you know, depression in, in oil in, in oil prices, and they're asking for things like, you know, removing the cap to the fiscal stabilization fund, which would have given Alberta, you know, upwards of a billion dollars in stabilization money to help get it through some of the tough times we just had. So, I think eventually we'll settle into a policy discussion that's going to be productive, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Is Canada too big to expect unity now? I mean, no, you know, we, 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 we did a simulcast uh, the other day with Calgary, and man, you know, Alberta's mad, and and rightly so, and rightly so. Well, I I think uh, they're they're angry, um, but but I I hope that we get to a point where we can have discussions about what will really solve the issue, right? So, 
you've heard and you probably talked about it uh, on your show yesterday too. It sounds like, but the, this Western um, separatist movement that yeah. seems to be gaining. And none uh, of the premiers at West want to separate. We got to make that clear. They have been uh, becoming more and more forceful with it. Now that they're off the campaign trail, uh, it sounds like they're willing to confront Western separatists uh, for what they are, which is, um, you know, I'll, I'll be blunt, nonsense peddlers. The fact that. Uh, the, the, you know, the notion that you can separate from uh, from the rest of Canada and hope yeah. to build a pipeline to Tidewater is, through a sovereign country is ridiculous. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Premier Kenny did strike that tone, I think, last night. Uh, where does this leave the pipeline? Obviously, we heard the Prime Minister come out yesterday and, and throw out the olive branch. And, and how, how did the, how was that received in Alberta? Um, I... Th- <laughs> Anything that that Justin Trudeau says is is tough to interpret through the lens of Western alienation, right? There's yeah. not much that the man can say. Uh, he was kind of literally born into uh, the you know the impression that Albertans a lot of us have of him. So yeah. Yeah. Um, people ask, well, what more can he do beyond buying a pipeline and promising to build it? Um, there is not much more he can do. Uh, but this that said, I think people out west that are worried that you know, the Bloc Québécois or the NDP are going to hold up uh, the pipeline in the House of Commons, just misunderstand where we are in this process. There aren't going to be many legislative measures uh, passing through the House of Commons. Most of what needs to be done can be done by the federal cabinet, which Trudeau has complete control over, and by the courts, which he has less control over. Uh, Do Albertans believe that he's going to get this done this time? He certainly said it before. Well, there's conspiracy theories floating around saying that no, he's 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 just dragging his feet so that he can uh, win votes in in Quebec uh, to form a majority government. He's gonna he's gonna axe the pipeline. There's no way his finance folks would would let him do that. <laughs> it's it's just that they've already sunk a lot of uh, not only sunk a lot of capital into it already, but uh, also the, the the you know the economic hit that uh, that uh, Canada would take in the short term and then investor confidence in the long term they have to get this thing built they'll find a way one way or another not to deny climate change in any way I want to make that perfectly clear but is it time to lower the climate change rhetoric and honestly look forward to a global solution to this and how the whole country can contribute as opposed to staying in our individual provincial silos I think that's well but I think that the solution might come through uh, allowing provinces to innovate. So this is an opportunity for for the Trudeau Liberals to start looking more closely at what the what the Kenny Climate Plan actually is. It is another type of solution that Alberta has been you know using for a number of years in in, in targeting large emitters as opposed to targeting taxpayers. Maybe there's some middle ground there where there could be a few more things that Alberta could do to 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 satisfy you know some of the the you know the skeptics. But I, I don't think we're as far apart on, on tackling climate change as people think they, think we are. And as the further away we get from election season, I think the more there is an opportunity for, for, for some real policy conversation. Can the Prime Minister put Canada back together? Um, I don't think he can do it alone. Uh, so I, I What does that mean? Well, I, I think premiers have got to have, have got to step up uh, as well. And, you know, as I said, I think the, last night the tone that Jason Kenney set uh, was more positive than we've seen from him. Brian Pallister in Manitoba. Manitoba, uh, you know, historically has played that middleman role. Uh, they're in the middle of confederation. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're in the middle of, of the country. They're middle uh, in terms of economy and, and tend to be in the middle ideologically. So I'd love to see a first minister's meeting um, first thing in the new year uh, where we can hopefully reset that intergovernmental agenda. Has the West finally been heard? How do they keep the momentum up? Um, well, definitely not by continuing to stomp our feet. I mean, I've seen the reaction from the rest of Canada, Central Canada and Atlantic Canada, and it's, 
we're, we're being framed as being the spoiled child of, of confederation. So this, you know, this angst, this anger and, and um, you know, stomping around it is not going to last, uh, not going to be productive. In so the that is term. what you feel, that is what you think, the way, that's the way you feel the East feels about the West. I think that's the perception. Yeah. Right. And I don't actually, think that's the perception. I think the perception is that um, that that climate change and and the fact that the only uh, alternative is to just shut the top, tap off now as opposed to a gradual transition and, and, and investing the money into research and development of a reliable renewable resource that is sustainable and, and reliable and, and reality. Uh, I think that me- I think the West's message is getting lost in that. And I think we have to come together to realize how we can fight this globally and how we can get natural resources uh, from from Alberta to the rest of the world and, and get the rest of the world off coal. It, it seems that we're all trying to virtue, virtue signal here and be the best province and the cleanest person in the land and, and not looking at how the, the rest of the country, what it needs to do to survive and even how we can help the rest of the world. Right. Well, Scott, that's a great message. It plays well out here in Calgary. I think it has to come from more people in central Canada. And it seems Canada to fall on deaf ears out east, and I'm not sure why. I think, the, and I said this to the, on the broadcast yesterday, we were talking to east and west, and that's, it, it seems that the one message is louder than the other. I don't know how you solve that. And, uh, and if well, you disagree with it, it's science. It's like nobody's disagreeing with climate change. What we're disagreeing with is in how to handle it. I, I agree, but uh, there's still skepticism around having a, for example, having a Western, uh, Western Canadian leading the Conservative Party of Canada. I think that is a large explanation for why the party did not do, did not fare well in the yeah. annual five, and it's definitely something the Conservatives. What are about Harper, at. though? Yeah, well, uh, he, he it took him a while to build yeah. up that, that yeah. trust in, in in that area, and they, he he wasn't out there stumping for Western Canada when right. he did it. Good point. All right. Uh, Joining us has been uh, Jared Wesley, Associate Professor, Political Science, University of Alberta. Jared, thank you for the time. We'll chat again. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. It is 1246. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thank you for the... Oh, hang on a sec. Hang on. What am I doing here? Hang on. Nobody, Nobody leave. Nobody leave. All right. I can't get Michael on. Can you handle that? It seems we've got issues here. All right. Uh, Michael Tobe is setting, uh, uh, standing by to join us. Reason being, we could, have we lost him? I didn't touch it. I've left, Scott. Oh, he's here. He's here. Oh, we've got him. All right. Oh, Great. What do you know? I think you saved yourself there, Michael. I'm not sure what you did. Anyway, thank you for the time. Uh, your old boss, Stephen Harper, uh, uh, was was uh, chatting yesterday about conservative uh, conservatism and how everybody needs to calm down. How did you yeah. translate that message? No, he's absolutely right, and uh, that's why he showed strong leadership for almost 10 years and was a major figure in Canada's conservative movement long before then. Um, It's true. Look, there's obviously going to be an element of frustration that's going to last for many, many weeks, and we know that. Conservatives will sort of look upon this past federal election as a lost opportunity in some respects, or at least something where we could have thrown it even to a smaller minority government for the Liberals, or possibly even one a minority of our own. But again, that's how the game is played, and there were a lot of mistakes, there were a lot of errors made by all the party leaders, including Andrew Scheer, and for that reason, that's kind of where we're at. So what Stephen Harper is basically saying is that we need to take a deep breath, at least conservatives anyways, which makes sense, look at the picture or look at the current political landscape rationally 
and try to figure out a strategy from there on how to build the party and grow the conservative movement to a position where, well, as Mr. Harper did for three elections, two minority governments and one majority government, that Andrew Scheer or whoever leads the Tory party can then become the next prime minister and eventually boot out Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. Uh, the uh, comments yesterday in regard to the pipeline, obviously an olive branch to the West. Are they to believe what he says this time? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, you're, you're, are you specifically just sort of referring to the way Justin Trudeau is going to build partnerships? Is that what you're referring to? Uh, well, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, it looks like it's a go again. There's optimism around that. I, is that the oh, case? No, no, no. It's just because you said he. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. A number of he's and Paul. Sorry. But yeah, and it was, ta- it was discussed by a lot of people yesterday. But yeah, no, no, no. Obviously, Justin Trudeau realizes that he needs to have a sober second thought and maybe a sober third thought, fourth thought, fifth thought, and various others in terms of the way he's handling things. During his speech on election night, as many people pointed out, he basically ran to the podium after Andrew Scheer had been up for about a minute, which is a big no-no in politics, no matter ideologically. That just sort of sums up the whole campaign, though, doesn't it? Well, exactly. And then just continued to show the contempt that basically brought him into a minority. My guess is that after he spoke... And after his message went through, some people probably sat down with him, even if the speech had been written for him beforehand, and sort of said to him, you know what, Justin, maybe we need to do this a little differently, and maybe we have to start realizing that we need the parties and we need Canadians more than they need us. Because a clear message was sent, and that's why things have changed. It's not because Justin Trudeau had some great revelation. It's because they realized that they were speaking the same sort of language that dropped them 20 seats on Monday, so they need to reshuffle and do things. And yes, pipelines is obviously one way to do it. Um, The difficulty is going to be, certainly for all the left-leaning parties, they are opposed to Trans Mountain for a variety of reasons, with the one exception being Jody Wilson-Raybould, the only independent MP. So he has to basically start using language and a conciliatory message that will work to bring the conservatives over and hopefully, from his standpoint, get them to vote along with him to get the pipeline going. Could he be more effective as a leader of a minority government? Because he's sort of on a leash. Well, he's on a leash, which is a good thing from an ideological perspective, I'll say that much. Um, It's hard to say. There are certain party leaders who are more suited for a majority government and others who can work in both the majority and minority situation. Justin Trudeau did, a, in my opinion, a pretty damn lousy job as a majority, running a majority government. Could he do better as a minor, with a minority? Well, he claims that he wants to do politics differently. If we look at past statements, we claim that he wants to build coalitions, you know, create sunny ways, you know, build political bridges and ties with others. I mean, a lot of it's obviously just glad-handing. But if he wants to be effective or at least get himself back into a position in a few years' time where he could potentially run another majority government or another minority, then yes, he has to work hard and he has to exceed expectations, which are pretty low right now. But his one big advantage, of course, Scott, is that he has one of the biggest minority governments ever assembled in Canadian history. He only needs roughly... 12 MPs at a time to get legislation through, 13 to be safe. So he's not forming any coalitions, obviously, but there's only ever been 
one coalition government, and that was during World War I, run by Robert Borden, so that was a long time ago. There, but working agreements are things that have happened in the past, but because he is so close to the magic 170 barrier, he can sort of go piece by piece and issue by issue and hope to get the support in certain instances of the NDP, the Bloc Québécois, the Greens, etc., and Jody Wilson-Raybould, or he can occasionally have things that have a bit of a a conservative leaning or a right-wing tinge that will at least appeal to Andrew Scheer and the Tories for the time being. Has this experience humbled the Prime Minister? Uh, can he put Canada back together again? Has it humbled him? I don't think so. I think this man just humble brags his whole life. He's, he is, quite frankly, one of, the, one of the least impressive examples, as I've said many, many times. Do you think he'll make the, the next election? Do you, think he'll, do you think he'll step down before the next election? No, no, absolutely not. He's not going anywhere. And mm. I don't think the party wants him to. Liberals are obviously displeased that they're in a minority situation, but there have been liberal prime ministers in the past, like Lester Pearson and Pierre Trudeau, Justin's father, who have been in minority governments run by liberals. So they have a history of it. And sure, look, I'm sure a lot of them probably feel after the whole blackface, brownface controversy, the two planes controversy, the fact that he became sort of a laughingstock in certain parts of the, the domestic agenda or in our country or also on the international stage and things that are going to be almost impossible to rebuild, I would imagine that some liberals privately would like to do away with them and get rid of them for sure. But Mike, I think the vast majority are quite content with them. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, thanks for the time as always. Much appreciated. No problem. Have a good day. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, just a shocking story that uh, broke yesterday. And still, we, we, uh, we know very little about this. Uh, British authorities have launched an investigation after 39 bodies uh, found inside of a truck. Uh, one of the biggest e- uh, ever murder investigations uh, happened on Wednesday after 39 bodies found inside a tractor trailer at an industrial park in southeast England. Essex police said the driver, a 25-year-old man from Northern Ireland, has been arrested on suspicion of murder. The bodies, 38 adults, one teenager, uh, found at the Waterglade Industrial Park in Grays, about 25 miles east of central London. Police have not yet offered an account of what might have happened, uh, but the scene bore markings of uh, human trafficking. Uh, Police, again, uh, have not identified the dead or where they are from, saying that this could uh, be a very lengthy process and uh, trying to figure out exactly what the journey was that uh, these people took and and where they all came from. To talk more about all of this, Hannah Larago-Stevens is with us, uh, expert on modern slavery, University of Nottingham's Rights Lab, and on the line now. Hannah, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hi, Scott. Nice to be here. Uh, this, uh, obviously, a very disturbing case. Uh, do we know any more? H- how did authorities even become aware of all of this? That's a good question. And, yeah, it is a really, really tragic case, um, particularly with the scale of lives lost, as you've identified. Um, just in addition to, to how you've introduced it, the British authorities have recently, um, in the last few hours, announced that all 39 individuals were from China. Um, and yet yeah, you're correct in that there was a, a mixture of men and women, but mostly men. 
Um, it's really not clear how it was identified. We do know that within half an hour of it being picked up, um, the container that is by the trailer, um, that the authorities were alerted and we know the ambulances um, were on scene to support um, with the recovery of the bodies um, in the very early hours yesterday morning. But um, we... It does... Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Um, it, it may well imply um, modern slavery, but there are also questions around um, just people smuggling as well, which are distinct crimes. Uh, so we know very little uh, about the actual arrest of the uh, truck driver or how authorities were ever notified to any of this or discovered. We understand it was ambulance that first discovered uh, the bodies. Uh, we don't know anything about how they were notified or how this came to be. No, not at the moment. And I would say it's not even clear, although it's been reported, the gentleman who owns the truck from Northern Ireland has been arrested, whether um, he was complicit and, and knew of the the. the the state of play in, in the back of the container he picked up. So, no, I don't believe that's clear either. Do we know, what do we know about the journey? Um, as far as we know, the um, container came through the Belgian port of Zeebrugge um, into, like you say, the British port in Essex. Um, and I do we know, so, of, sorry to interrupt, do we know where it came from? Um, the part of the, part of the container has um, registered, was registered in uh, Bulgaria, um, but then some ownership model um, also ties that back to an individual in Ireland is what's been reported at the moment. So what it does show is it's an incredible complex case, wow. um, clearly with the nationalities of the individuals involved also being uh, now Chinese, which is known. This is going to have to be a cross-border investigation um, with significant collaboration of different authorities to, to get justice for these individuals. Uh, how surprised are you that uh, those people are Chinese? Uh, did you expect that? Um, it is an unusual one. Um, it, as I say, it's shocking because of the scale of the case, um, because over the last few years, um, particularly since the um, migrant camps closed in Calais, um, there have only been five known individuals that have unfortunately lost their lives, and they've been travelling alone, and they haven't been um, from outside Central Europe, I don't believe. Um, so it is surprising that it's such a large amount of individuals that appear to have travelled an incredibly long way. Um, unfortunately, it's harrowingly similar to an incident that happened back in 2000 when the largest case of this kind was found when 58 Chinese migrants were also found in lorries in Dover, um, having passed away in similar conditions to the case yesterday. Um, and so from a sort of human trafficking or smuggling point of view and question, it does suggest that things have not been put in place to address the risk of this happening um, and that people are not being informed of the risks that come with, with taking opportunities like this. We certainly know uh, the issues that, you know, in and around immigration and such that, that, that Europe has been dealing with and, and, and such, um, and, and the challenges there from, you know, people and, and coming from other parts of the world. Uh, that being said, wouldn't most have thought that this was, you know, tradition, uh, similar to traditional uh, problems or issues that you've had in the past with human trafficking, that these people are coming from the Middle East and, and other countries like that. Uh, how did they get to Bulgaria from China? Well, we, we have to acknowledge that the, um, the complexity of these organized criminal gangs um, spans borders, it spans continents. Um, and at the heart of them is not the um, need to protect or preserve human life, but to make money. 
Um, modern slavery as, a, as an international crime um, is thought to create um, over $150 billion every year, with 40 million people um, believed to be in forms of modern slavery or exploitation worldwide as well. Um, and so actually, it's not surprising, unfortunately, that these um, people seem to have traveled this far, because we know um, due to sort of such desperate situations, people will go to these lengths um, and many more people lose their lives across the Mediterranean in recent years, as you've suggested, um, as, as, as migration increases around Europe. Um, I think it is important to suggest that, to, to acknowledge that these people, um, as I say, could have been being smuggled, which implies a larger degree of consent um, to something like human trafficking, where an element of coercion and deception is much more prevalent in that relationship between the organized criminal gang and the person um, being moved. So it all depends on whether that becomes clear as to whether we understand this as something new or something that's increasing. Um, but in either case, obviously, people are at risk um, and authorities need to do more to stop it. Are we to assume that this journey for them originated in China? It's likely. Um, from what I found out on the case in 2000, um, there is um, an area of China, I believe, Fujia, who, which, which the, those 58 migrants came from at the time. Um, and they were all able to pay um, quite a large fee to be moved, um, which, you know, does actually very much cover a plane ticket, but would not get around uh, visa uh, restrictions and the like. So it's likely that if it happened then, it can continue to happen now. And for the sake of jobs, livelihoods, um, and all kinds of reasons, these people may have made that journey um, right across from China, indeed. Uh, we certainly have a healthy immigration with China here in, in, in Canada and such. Uh, I don't think we would expect that people were fleeing China this way. How big of an issue is this for China? That's a really good question, because um, unfortunately information on migration in and out of China is really quite scarce um, and I imagine this issue um, will will put it on people's radars to find more about it as you say most people um, that most of the migration issues and challenges with human trafficking in the UK of late have been much more from um, Eastern and Central Europe um, or even um, North Africa and so it is surprising um, and I imagine it will incur much more investigation into that issue of migration from China and whether that's happening in a coerced way or whether that's happening um, more through personal choice uh, for reasons that will have to be investigated. We know that rural to urban migration in China is massive um, and that's affecting the economics of China in all kinds of ways and, and how profitable and successful each of their provinces are. But international migration out of China, we know much less about. How will China view this? Um, they have, um, I think, issued a statement um, in the last few hours, um, just in the sense that they will be uh, cooperating to uh, support the victims of, and families of the victims who have been um, affected. And I think it goes to say that in any country, if any instance of this happening, the sending or the original country of origin for these people um, has to take and acknowledge their direct responsibility 
to um, support their civilians, their nationals, in understanding the risk that comes with undertaking anything like this. Um, there's a lot of work going on globally at the moment to understand new migration routes, whether it's through persecution, through conflict, through um, opportunities, um, economic or otherwise. And I think that information needs to be shared. The likes of the Chinese authorities can take a direct responsibility for educating civilians on um, when it's not safe to do this and how to do it um, in, in scope of the law. Uh, when you think of Hong Kong, when you think of what's happening here in North America, specifically can- with Canada and uh, the detaining of two Canadians in China in regard to the Huawei CFO case, uh, clearly China has an image problem. How does it look when people are free- fleeing their country this way in such a manner, uh, just trying to get out? That's That can't play well with China, can it? Um, no, but I think there's people leaving their countries all over the world in similar ways. Um, and yeah, this is an interesting one because we're not used to hearing so much about um, Chinese migrants making their way into the UK. As you say, it's normally Central and Eastern Europe at the moment for work opportunities. Um, but isn't, doesn't, it accurately, on conflict. doesn't it accurately describe that life in China isn't that good? Is that the sort of message they want getting out? You could interpret that in any country of origin from anyone fleeing um, mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason. We can't. We, we don't know what in what circumstances these people were leaving. Um, as I say, the situation in 2000 was interesting because it's believed that those migrants were actually able to pay large sums of money um, to get across, which implies that it wasn't poverty that was, was, was drawing them away or mm. it was the opportunity to um, make even more money and perhaps business um, scenarios that were able to support them and their, their decision to do that. Right. So um, it's really not clear why they would have left. Um, yes, it could imply that situations were not favourable, um, but we know that all countries have, you know, people who want to leave and, and enter more um, in their perception um supportive countries and for whatever reason. Because these victims are Chinese, how much more difficult will this case be to solve? I think you'd have to talk to the authorities that are dealing with that about now. Um, you'd hope for cooperation just for the sake of justice for the horrendous situation um, and the victims that have lost their lives. Um, as I say, China have issued a statement, I believe, um, at the moment, and you just hope that the cross-border communication will continue to, to resolve the issue. Hannah Legro stevens expert on modern slavery at the University of Nottingham's Rights Lab. Hannah, a fascinating topic. Thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, good luck solving this situation. Thank you for having me. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, we had our East-West show yesterday with uh, the Danielle Smith Show and took lots of callers from Calgary, Alberta, and Hamilton, Ontario. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out these guys are just pissed beyond belief and feel that they're being totally neglected. Uh, Everybody in the East says, well, just diversify. Come on, just go do something. Come on, just make it all work. And, you know, I think perhaps this will bring the climate change discussion to a head and we can stop arguing about climate change and instead tried to make a transition over a long period of time, which was the only way this is going to happen. You know, we have to get out of our provincial silos and trying to outgreen the other province and look as a country how we can better help the world. And that is getting the rest of the world off coal with cleaner natural resources from Canada. So why can't we do that and invest in research and development and renewable energy and how we can make it 
a reality, sustainable. Instead of, of course, you, you know, saying the world's coming to an end if we don't do this tomorrow. Well, China, India, and Russia ain't doing it tomorrow. So you might as well go buy a plot somewhere. Or you can all join us in the center and we'll try to find a solution to this. But it looks now that, and you listen to people in the East. I mean, they're just buying all of the rhetoric that's coming out from the climate change activists. And again, this is not a discussion about climate change. This is a discussion on how we move forward. And shutting off the tap is not the answer. And maybe, just maybe, with what's happening post-election and out West, the rest of the country will get that through their head. It's easy to sit in Ontario and Quebec and, and virtue signal about what you want you know, the, the rest of the world to be without even acknowledging your neighbor and how we can get there. You know, it, it's just Vancouver is home to the biggest coal port in North America. We'd rather ship that to China than we would cleaner natural gas. Like it's stupid. So again, you, you know, it, it's, it's tragic that the environment minister is getting threats the way she is, but perhaps her and the prime minister should get on the same page. Because one is screaming hysteria with her hair on fire. And the other is saying, let's build a pipeline. Don't worry, Alberta. We'll get her done. What the hell is the truth? Uh, let's bring in Dan McTagg. Uh, there's no sense me blowing off on all this by myself. Former liberal MP, consumer affairs critic, analyst, gasbuddy.com. He's with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. <laughs> Good to be here, Scott. All right, I'll take a breath now. You can go. <laughs> so, uh, your thoughts on the press conference yesterday. I, when this all went down, I was talking with Danielle Smith from her show in C CHQR in Calgary, and she actually played a clip of the Prime Minister on the air saying, yeah, you know, he's going to... It actually sounded remotely optimistic, and then, of course, went to the callers, and they were all yelling, are you buying this? So, yeah. your thoughts on what he had to say yesterday. Well, I don't think what he has to say is really taken uh, with much degree of credibility outside of uh, urban centers in eastern Canada. I mean, Toronto, GTA, uh, GTHA uh, all supported this. But, I mean, I, I, I'm just left shaking my head in terms of what this really means. Have we gone so far down the road of believing that the world is coming to an end in 12 months or 12 years that we are prepared to throw uh, everything of value that this country has to the wayside, including what I think is um, climate uh, imperialism, which is to suggest that nothing is more important than our, you know, our misguided belief. That and here, you know what really, you know what really irks me about that whole argument mm -hmm. that the world is coming to an end in 10 years is that has anybody told China? Has anybody India. told India? I mean, <laughs> Russia, whatever. I mean, pick your yeah. pick your place. Because yeah, at no the end of the day, it's like it's like Canada is saddling the whole burden of of these polluters on their shoulders. And some way, if we change our way, that they'll change theirs. I, I mean, I accept, go ahead. Know, I think Scott. Look, while you and I are having this discussion, and I think reasonable, rational, open-minded people are prepared to look at a number of options, including recognizing the good that we do in this country as far as leadership on environmental issues. We have classroom after classroom, teacher after teacher, union after union, curriculum after curriculum, shoving this down our kids' throats. And I, I can't be more emphatic about that. The battle is lost as you and I have this discussion and everyone else is nodding their head. You have in every classroom today, it doesn't matter if it's uh, separate or public school system, 
you are forced to yield to genuflect at the altar of climatism. And I think that's where it doesn't really matter what we do. Uh, the game is over. We have brainwashed our children and a generation of people into believing that uh, somehow uh, bad weather or inclement weather, unusual weather, is a testament to the fact that we won't be around in 10 to 15 years. And, and of course, if you disagree with any of this, it's the science, the science, the science. But then Danielle Smith said, well, here's the science. Here's yeah. what we produce. Here's the yeah. science. Here's what we're importing from other countries. I mean, yeah. it just seems to fall on deaf ears. People, and, and you know, the people from the West are asking me, like, do you not see this? And the only answer I have for them is that the propaganda... And, and just because I'm saying propaganda with climate change, it doesn't mean I'm not buying in. It means that this is being exploited by extremism. And sure, that message is no convention. Exactly. Exactly. And now that message is greater than the one Alberta can ever spew out. Uh, and, and I don't know how they fix that. This is worse than what I recall, you know, when we had the two heads of the proverbial separatist Hydra eating away at the country in the early 1980s. So Quebec separatism and Western alienation. Uh, you're right. I've seen the uh, the other side of this. I've seen it certainly in terms of Twitter, some of the conversations that I've had. Um, they're beyond angry. And I think uh, this is not the prime minister uh, and perhaps even not the leader of the conservative party to be able to rectify this. We're going to have to find another, another route. But I think it also recognizes that we have to uh, sit back and realize the damage that we're doing, not just economically, but the fact that we're not achieving anything, as you quite rightly pointed out, look what the other countries are not doing, including the United States. Um, you know, we have to take a step back here and, and realize the country's uh, unity uh, is fragile and it's likely to get worse. You can push your agenda as far as you want, but when the prime minister comes back and says, oh, I'll get that Trans Mountain pipeline built after having literally killed two other valuable pipelines, the Energy East and, of course, the Northern Gateway, and then, you know, dawdled and, and ragged the puck on this one. Uh, I don't think when we consider that he also passed without any amendments, Bill C-48 and Bill C-69, preventing the uh, transportation by ship uh, on the northwestern UBC coast, and, of course, changing the entire method by which we approve future pipelines uh, the game is over, and the roost is now clearly out there. And unfortunately, uh, people didn't get the message. They're going to start getting that message, Scott. When the price of energy starts to go through the roof, and they're bringing their Clean Fuels Act, and the NDP then, forget the Conservatives for a moment, uh, when the NDP demands this condition for its willingness to prop up the Liberals, uh, that Trans Mountain Pipeline be nixed, we'll have no pipelines built, and I can't imagine that that is going to sit well with anybody in the provinces of Alberta, Saskatchewan, I think a good part of uh, central BC. So, um, you, you know, we're hearing reports today that Catherine McKenna, the environment minister, has had threats and there was some other issue uh, with, with the defacing of, a, of signs and such uh, at her headquarters and such. Um, you know, that's tragic. That should not be happening. But does the prime minister look in the mirror and, and say that, his environment minister, Catherine McKenna, is screaming one message and he's saying to the West that he's going to build a pipeline. I mean, they are on opposite sides of the page here. Well, ministers have received threats. I received one myself, even as a member of parliament. So, and it was documented. It's in, it's in the press back in 1995 uh, over the gun issue, gun control issue. So, I, look, I, I, that is not acceptable. It's not the way we do things here in Canada. 
But that shouldn't be used as really an excuse to say, uh, you know, you have to like our policies because it's shame on the people doing this kind of stuff, sick people who are making those kind of comments or defacing signs, which they've done in my campaign many times before. Probably in my case, it would have been an improvement, especially. If <laughs> but how can the, how can one minister sell such an opposite message to the prime minister? Or am I am I way off base here? No, it's not. Uh, I, well, whether she remains minister of environment, you're likely to wind up with uh, Mr. Gibo, who's far more. Uh, I mean, can you say far more radical than Catherine McKenna? I don't know, uh, but I would think that uh, the prime minister is basically. Uh, choreographing whatever, uh, you know, whatever the situation dictates, according to Gerald Butts. But remember, these folks are committed environmentalists. These folks are using Canada as a guinea pig. And these folks are dividing a wedge in your country. Uh, you know, four years ago, we didn't have a $70 billion debt added to our, uh, to our shoulders, to our burden. We didn't have a separatist lang- uh, party uh, in, in, the, uh, in the East in Quebec. We didn't have Western Canada uh, up in arms, with the exceptions of maybe Manitoba's premier, and I think that's for good reason. But the reality, I think, for many of us is that uh, we're quickly going to a point where both economically and uh, constitutionally, we're in we're in real trouble. And uh, as I said originally, Justin Trudeau is not the man to get us out of this. Uh, I recall the night our country almost crumbled in 1995. With that vote in Quebec, uh, I think that what's happened in Quebec is nothing compared to what I think is uh, transpiring in Alberta. I really want to be wrong. I'm from Ontario. I, you know, Ontario has benefited from a strong national government and a strong representation from coast to coast. Uh, but this country is badly fractured. And anybody who tries to be smart alecky about it, or you know, when Harper was elected, we didn't you know come out and say we were going to separate. Look, I don't think. Here for us in Ontario, imagine if you had a government uh, in which uh, the primary uh, seats were elected uh, population-wise in B.C., Alberta, and Saskatchewan, and they decided to systematically use a ruse argument to destroy our manufacturing sector, shut down a steel, automotive, uh, and financial sectors. You'd be hopping mad because you'd be hopping out out of work. You know, people have lost their jobs. People have gone to tremendous levels of depression. Families have split up. Suicides are on the rise. If anybody is trying to be cute and pedantic about this, uh, remember something. You're basing your entire argument on the false belief that somehow uh, the sky is falling. Uh, So if if people are that obsessed, if people are that brainwashed, and you voted liberal in the last election, shame on you. What happens 10 years from now when we're all here and, and, you know, we're dealing with this? Yeah, I know, but... (laughs) Anyway, uh, you might have the shoes on the other foot. Is really what I'm saying. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. people wouldn't be so smart alecky here in Ontario. So but will you know what? it's not over. It's only beginning. So will this election, Dan, change the discussion? Will it limit the extremism in this discussion? No, it'll intensify it because you have the same actor running the country. The whole point was to get rid of Trudeau. Uh, with him there and with Gerald Butts and that gang still running the show. Uh, we're going to wind up in a far worse situation now than we were in 2015, and certainly far worse than what we are now. How does Gerald Butts balance what Trudeau's saying versus McKenna? How does Gerald Butts, who's the former head of the World Wildlife Federation, how yeah. does he let his best bud say what he's saying to Alberta? Is it is it, this it all a matter. ruse? Is it, it all matter? Because it, we in Hamilton and the GTHA voted cheerfully for uh, bumblers, liars, and deceivers, and I. 
you know, fine. If that's what you want, folks. Then, you know, when your country starts to fracture and when your economy starts to go into the tank and your uh, your mortgages are worth uh, far less than what, uh, or your home's worth far less than what your mortgage is, you'll have only one thing to do, and that's to complain to yourself and being so stupid as you did on Monday and voted for a government that is committed to destroying the country using a false narrative, a false argument about uh, climate. And I... I, I, got it. I can't be more blunt than that. I, I'm, I'm shocked that people were that, uh, were that oblivious. And, you know, you can look in the round the corner and say, I don't like this leader, I don't like that leader. Uh, you know, if that's what it comes down to, if uh, people are just tired and they just want to get out of the way, think about it when your kids can't find work and when you find, finally get the pink slip that your job's out, uh, you know, out of uh, the commission. I think for a lot of people, um, the, uh, the raw feelings are now starting to come forward and it's not going to end. So will that instigate change in some way because it appears the west is now finally being heard post-election i don't think it's being heard it certainly can't be heard in the floor of the house of commons in government it doesn't have a minister left that's a decision that people are say well tough luck you didn't elect anybody in western canada and uh that's just the way it's going to have to be but so where does that so where does that leave the pipeline or or earlier and it takes a jean chrétien uh, to uh, to bring us together, uh, or you know even a Pierre Trudeau to go in and and, and take the take the argument to the separatists. Uh, but I'm sorry, Justin Trudeau is not that person. And if you think he is, uh, good luck. Uh, you probably have a better chance of winning uh, next week's lottery. So what is happening right now on the site of the pipeline? Is there any action there at at all? And, Nothing. And what is Justin Trudeau going to kickstart this pipeline? Is he going well, to get this going? He can say all he wants. What you need there is two words, and I hope people are familiar with this term, mobilization permits. You need those in order to get the right to go on and to uh, go to your contractors and to go to your uh, equipment, uh, large equipment uh, companies to rent the equipment you're going to need for one, two, three-year periods. Nobody is going to move. Nobody is going to uh, you know, get the thing rolling until mobilization permits are granted in each one of those communities along the pipeline. That didn't happen. That hasn't happened. And I don't see it happening. Political rhetoric is you know, deep, uh, but uh, action is, uh, is not likely to follow. So, folks, only when you hear the word mobilization permits being granted uh, will you be absolutely sure this uh, thing's a reality. Uh, save it up until then. It's a big song and dance, and we've been playing this jig on Trans Mountain since the end of 2013. We're now heading to the end of 2019. Uh, as I've said many, many times here before, Scott, uh, uh, I think it's a pipe dream. This uh, this pipeline is likely not to be built. There will be a lot of acrimony and, of course, uh, compliments of the Liberals, now supported by Canadians who reinforce the message. Uh, there are no future pipelines being built in this country. So Good luck to the future of your country. So you don't think even with a minority government, this will force him into some sort of action on this? No. No, because he's got what he wants, and uh, the only condition by which he's going to survive is uh, bringing the NDP NDP, Green, Bloc, Liberals. So, you know, supported by 60, 66% of Canadians. He could easily get the Conservatives to help support the pipeline. Well, they would, but the problem is it won't really matter uh, if the Liberals are told that uh, the only way in which you are going to become or maintain your your, uh, government is by having us prop you up. In order for us to support you on all legislation, Mr. Trudeau, is what the thing's going to say, you have to be able to kill Trans Mountain. That's the condition, and I think that's coming, and it's something that media isn't talking about right now. I would not be surprised to see that happen over the next couple of weeks. So, in in other words, you can promise the pipeline and even promise the Conservatives to to back it, but sooner or later, the next one, they're going to lose. Yeah, liberals don't really want to build this. You know that as well as yeah. I do. I mean, they've, and they've committed, they've delayed, they've spent a lot of money. 
And everything we've done up until now has been absolutely legitimized because of stupid voting here in Ontario. So anyway, what can I say? People have just uh, pissed up the rope 4.5 billion bucks and more and caused significant uh, uh, collateral damage publicly, politically. Uh, and of course, 30 se- 38 separatists in Quebec now is to represent the House of Commons again, and uh, obviously an angry part of the country which has no federal government representation. Uh, it's going to be hard times ahead for Canada. Piss up the rope. I am writing that one down. Uh, <laughs> the Prime Minister said during the campaign Stephen Harper couldn't get these pipelines built either. Ten yeah, years. Well, he's, he's lying, and that's. Uh, I want to tell every Liberal uh, to... Uh, uh, that if they, uh, if they put that line out again, this liberal who knows what the hell he's talking about, unlike them, who never really took an interest in energy or consumers, can tell them they're full of hops. The reality is that Mr. Harper brought in the Northern Gateway, blocked by the courts. He overrode, he didn't, he finally got the courts to come back online, was prepared to uh, put it in place, and of course lost government. The first action of the federal liberal government was to kill Northern Gateway. He built the Alberta Loop, he built the Keystone, the existing Keystone Pipeline, and he reversed number nine line, uh, line nine Enbridge, which runs right through our area, over through Westover, all the way back to Montreal. Look, I'm not a conservative. <laughs> I did vote for them. Uh, but uh, making that statement is an absolute, it's just horse pucky. And I've got to tell you, if I hear liberals saying it, uh, I'm going to basically put a little sticker on the face saying liar. Because A, they don't know what they're talking about. They're reading it from someone's textbook. But the reality is that uh, Mr. Harper, uh, for all his faults, uh, did in fact build pipelines. Not only built them, but uh, wasn't going to play uh, footsies with environmentalists uh, to try to block them in the way that Mr. Trudeau has done and cost you and I $4.5 billion bucks, and then uh, thinks nothing of, uh, of, of the separatist tendencies now that have grown around him. So I don't recall Mr. Harper having a problem with separation, with uh, separatists hmm. in uh, east or west or in the center. Everybody may not have liked the way he governed, but uh, they certainly uh, weren't out uh, saying this is the end. So I'm hoping this will come to an end. I want a united country. Uh, but I can only see one path. That's get rid of Trudeau. And unfortunately, uh, uh, for all the folks out there who uh, voted Liberal, uh, <laughs> too bad on you. Dan McTagg, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs critic, analyst, GasBuddy.com. Dan, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Good to be here, Scott. Talk to you soon. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, you know, I, I'm not here to debate climate change. Believe me, the message has been bombarding us forever. Every Canadian knows about climate change because we've been bombarded with it. From Gerald Butts having his ear or his mouth to the ear of the Prime Minister. We all know about climate change. Please stop ramming it down our throats. Instead, let's have a discussion on how we're going to move forward and gently transition off of fossil fuel instead of shut off the tap, shut off the tap, let Alberta burn in hell, shut off the tap. It's not going to happen. And, you know, it it doesn't do climate change, environmentalists or anyone, any service to not have the intelligent conversation in the center and bring everybody together and get this discussion out of the hands of the extremists. I mean, really. You know, we're talking more about Greta, uh, what's her name, that came across in the boat than we are on a sustainable, reliable way to provide uh, renewable energy for everyone that we can afford, that we can pay for. But instead, we're, you know, well, here we go. Uh, This was a very important conversation, says Linda. 
And I now see how partisan politics is affecting it. Uh, she's quoting Dan McTagg here. Bumblers, liars and deceivers, false narrative over the climate dispute. Trudeau isn't going to resume the pipeline. I agree the climate change issue is a distraction and answers are not all on the government and certainly not all on Canada. Really, Greta, what the hell are you doing in Canada? Why aren't you in India? Why aren't you in Russia? Why aren't you in China? Why aren't you in the United States of America? Because the movement is alive and well here. She gets more exposure for the cause here than she does actually trying to solve the problem in the countries that are the massive polluters. Taxing you and me an extra however many cents to uh, change our mode of transportation to one that does not exist right now is fruitless. Coming together with a, with, with a plan involving the whole country that gets the world off coal is a solution. Creating incentives for industry to put money into research and development into a sustainable, renewable energy program, that will get results. Taxing the hell out of you and me and trying to get us to walk well, we don't have the public transit that's needed to facilitate all of this. It's just garbage. So enough of the hysteria, enough of Catherine McKenna and her hysteria saying something completely opposite to what the prime minister does while he's trying to sell a pipeline to the West. And you'll wonder why there's divisiveness in the country. You and your environmental minister are saying two different things. Enough of the extremism. This is going to take anywhere from 20 to 50 years to transition. And if you keep going with the model that we're all dead in 10 years, we might as well just go buy a plot somewhere. Because you're barking up the wrong tree. And the way to create incentive for industry to do this is to give them incentive, not tax the hell out of the average person who needs to drive their vehicle to work or heat their home. I mean, come on. The world is not coming to an end. The world changes all the time. Let's learn to deal with it and come up with a sustainable, renewable energy program instead of this extremism with kids floating across the Atlantic trying to deliver their message. Why don't we save all the money that the people put up to get Greta here on a nice boat and send her with a security staff to China or India and try to sell the message there? We get it here in Canada. We know. We've heard enough about climate change. We get it. Even the West gets it. What we don't agree with is your hysteria and the fact we got to shut off the tap tomorrow or we're all dead. That's BS. It's BS. So can we get rid of the extremism on both sides of this uh, spectrum and come to the center and actually find a solution that Canadians can live with? As opposed to getting rid of all the cars and just making everybody walk. 
Because I haven't heard any sort of solution other than that from the green extremists. Stop trying to slam climate change down our throats. We know. We get it. We understand the science. Now, you understand the science and what it's going to take to legitimately get there. Instead of some sort of utopian fantasy, which is impossible to obtain. Meanwhile, the planet's getting warmer. Well, the extremists are arguing with themselves. Join us all back in the center, will you? And we'll fix the problem like that. But it's all about getting your guy reelected. And that's what's happened with the Prime Minister. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.